This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, RingCentral makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at RingCentral.com. RingCentral. Simpler Communications. Your one-stop shop for all your unique Phantom Sports apparel with fully licensed merchandise covering the major five sports, your favorite players, and all the teams from every major city with unique feature designs that only you as the fan will have. Go to InTheClutch.com and use promo code BellyUpMDFFSHOW for 10% off your order today with free shipping on orders of $100 or more. Again, that's promo code BellyUpMDFFSHOW for 10% off your unique fandom collection today. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. Welcome in and thank you for tuning in to the MD's Fantasy Football Show tonight live on BellyUp.tv and on the BellyUp Sports Roku channel. Subscribe to our YouTube so that we can comment in throughout the show and make sure you download us on your favorite podcast app so you can listen to all of our content at your earliest convenience. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, joined here with my partner in crime, Mr. Christopher Dow Howard, to your top right corner, depending upon where you're watching this at. And... Today is a great day. And to steal a line from our guest, it's a great day to be great. Mr. Ian Harditz has joined the show to generously donate an hour of his time to talk a little fantasy football because he has a lot of things he's got to get through. But, man, are we glad to have him. Ian, how are you doing today? You said it, man. Great day to be great. I'm, I'm just 
just happy that there's two other individuals out there ready to talk some fantasy football on June 2nd. That's my thing, guys. I'm here <laughs> to talk football 365 days a year. And whenever I can share it with someone, I absolutely love it. We got the NFC East on the way. Little, I think, little known fact, but I actually grew up and have always been and still am a Dallas Cowboys fan. So I try not to let that, you know, factor into the <laughs> equation too much because I prefer winning versus, you know, the Cowboys winning uh, in fantasy land. Of course, <laughs> as it goes. But with that said, feel very good about this. Let's get after it, guys. Love it. Love it. Ian, I got a quick question for you, though. So you're a Cowboys fan. Do you feel like you go more optimistic or pessimistic? Because I, as a 49ers fan, I feel like I'm always more pessimistic about the 49er players, even in fantasy. <laughs> Bro, you got the 49ers. I don't, know, I don't know why you're pessimistic. I'll tell you what. I was terrified <laughs> of that playoff game last year, so I don't know what you have to worry about. I will say, though, when I was um, – let's see. I'm 29 years old right now. I really started getting in this industry when I was about 20. As I've prolonged into it, like I will just say – more and more, I just side with the players, man. Like, who gives a shit about what billionaire team says this or that? Like, I understand you grow up with it. Again, I do feel a twinge in my heart towards the Cowboys always. But at the end of the day, I'm rooting for these players. That's why the whole time when these college athletes were trying to get paid, it's like, really? You don't think that this random person you've never met that's really good at football should make some money? You want the 70-year-old vice president who has never played a down in his life to get that? So, I... <laughs> Team Cowboys, but at the same time, I feel like I'm good at, you know, setting back and just appreciating appreciating the game. Love it. Love it. All right. So like you said, we got a jam-packed show. We're going over our team profile series, kicking it off. We have the NFC East that we're going to be talking about. And Chris, we're going to be introducing some segments, some new segments that we're going to be bringing for like in-season content to get the audience introduced to what we're going to be doing and how it's kind of all going to look and work. So let's kick it off right away and get into our quarterbacks of it all and let's get them to our lock them in and of course because this is a new drop i can't find the drop now all of a sudden lock <laughs> in. It's a lock. all right so lock them in that's it's the one tier down okay it's not the obvious starts it's not the elite players it's the guys you're going to lock them into your lineup but there might be some questions about first guy i want to talk about let's stick with the cowboys and talk about dak prescott so dak prescott comes in he had the crazy start a couple years a couple years ago, comes in last season dealing with the injury. He's able to play through it pretty well, but I got a question about Dak Prescott. I'm a little bit lower on him on the ADP than I am with my rank. ADP right now is QB9. My rank is QB7 at the moment, and the reason – I'm sorry, opposite way. He's, he's QB7. Mine's QB9 at the moment, and the reason for that is because of the touchdowns, the rushing touchdowns. He only had one last year. This is a guy who's used to having five or more. And that's what's propelled him to be a top five candidate year in, year out. So, Ian, let's go to you. Talk about the Dallas Cowboys. Talk about Dak Prescott. Can he get more comfortable with his mobility? I have him QB9. I think your concerns are warranted, man. One of the studies I actually took upon myself to do in March, the dead months of the year, I just try to ask questions that I think might, you know, cover a wider arrangement on the league. And one of those was, do quarterbacks run less as they get older? Makes sense to me, you know, as a team gets, you know, as I, I, I love saying this last year, like the Buffalo Bills have 257 millions, million reasons why Josh Allen shouldn't be running as much around the goal line. Similar sentiment with the Cowboys and Dak Prescott. And basically I went through since 2000, looked at every quarterback with 75 or more rush attempts in a year and just basically tried to answer that question. Do quarterbacks in fact, 
back and run less as older. And long story short, the answer is yes. Other than your Cam Newtons of the world, which I think we can agree that's probably <laughs> an exception. Uh, we see quarterbacks really in the first two to three years of their contract run more than they ever will. I don't think that's necessarily uh you know, an innate decision that they're trying to make. I think it's more they become just more comfortable working within the confines of an NFL offense, throwing that ball, making their third read instead of scrambling. You know, it, it makes sense. I remember when, uh, you know, everyone wants to shut on Urban Meyer these days. That's the cool things to do. But just a cool note from him in 2014 when Cardale Jones took over for Ohio State in the uh, college football playoffs and Wisconsin before that, the rule for him was one read, two read, scramble. So I'm not that surprised that when you have an athletic quarterback, maybe it is better just to tell him to take off when that happens. But long story short, yes, this is a concern with Dak Prescott moving forward. And once you factor that in, it just takes him down a tier a little bit. I mean, the Josh Allens, Kyler Murray's, Lamar's, even the Patrick Mahomes of the world, we're getting such a big rushing floor that when you're adding that rushing production on top of the passing skill, you know, they're just playing a different game, basically. That's why we've seen guys like Jalen Hurts outperform quarterbacks that are probably better than him in real life. So I have Dak QB9. He's in a tier for me with Brady, Burrow, and then also Russell Wilson. I do have him ahead of Russ. I'll take that continuity, but I think that rushing, uh, you know, just note is a very solid reason why to put him towards the lower end of the QB1 spectrum when this time, you know, a year ago before the injury, I think we could argue he's a top five quarterback. Yeah, and let's not forget, too, if we're going to be leaning on the passing prowess of Dak Prescott, well, guess what? Amari Cooper's gone. They had to let go of Cedric Wilson. He might not have as many weapons heading into this season either. So that's why I'm a little down on him. Not too far down. I'm only two spots lower. But Jalen Hurts is somebody who I have ranked ahead in the NFC East and has great, great potential. I think we can all recognize that. I have him right now as my QB7. He's the ADP QB9. That's what got me screwed up on Dak earlier. The big thing about Jalen Hurts, though, is that he's got to take that step up in his accuracy. Last year, first seven games, when they're throwing the ball a ton, he's averaging 34.5 pass attempts per game, 61.1% completion percentage. The last 10 games, when the Eagles did a complete 180, changed their offensive round, became this run-first team, he's only averaging about 23.75 pass attempts a game, 61.5 completion percentage. It didn't matter if it was a lot or a little. He stayed the same in his efficiency. So, Chris... When you're looking at that, do you think Hertz can take the next step up with maybe the help of an A.J. Brown? I don't know if he has to say so. Make the next step up. I think when you look at his numbers, um, especially last year, as you talked about, this guy's going to be productive with his legs. And I think, as Ian kind of alluded to, this guy's still in the first year of his contract, or first contract. So he's still going to run, still kind of playing for his job. Um, I think A.J. Brown will help if anything else will take some of the tension off of him. So therefore, you can't kind of spot necessarily or play safety help necessarily take away that running play. So regardless if he's going to you know, advance as a passer, I think remains to be seen. I think the numbers kind of speak for themselves. This guy's probably never going to be a 65 or 70 percent completion percent guy, no matter what kind of weapons he really has in place. But I think if you can get a guy that can kind of be making big plays on third and sevens, whereas the A.J. Brown or with his legs, you're still going to have a fantasy relevant guy and a guy that you're probably going to have in the top 10 and you know even top seven, as you kind of talked about. But can he maintain? Can he maintain the rushing production? Last year, he had I 10 think, rushing touchdowns. I think that you do because I think that you look at a more explosive offense. For me, I'm always a big proponent that when the offense is more explosive, the guys all kind of benefit, particularly the quarterback. Dak Prescott was one of those guys a couple of years ago where he had the touchdowns to talk about rushing because the offense was so explosive. Now that you look at the Eagles where you have so many different weapons, so many different guys, particularly you can't play a lot of uh, coverage or double these guys with a Smith, with an A.J. Brown, with a Goddard. So Jalen Hurts is going to have a kind of a, ch- a chance to really have some big plays as well because he better turn their head and kind of turn away the way, take away the passing game and allow him to kind of use his legs as well. 
Where are you at on Jalen Hurts, Ian? Bro, overall QB1 upside, but I can't quite put them in that top five. I got Allen, Murray, Herbert, Mahomes, Jackson, two of their own. But right after that, at QB number six is Jalen Hurts. And I think he deserves his own tier because I think we're writing off his passing ability a little bit too quickly. I understand when they made that switch starting in the Lions game, they became the most run-heavy offense in the NFL. Before that, I believe they were seventh in non-garbage time, like like situation-neutral pass play rate. So what's going to happen when you add A.J. Brown? Probably something a little bit in the middle. And I just think every time we talk about a rushing quarterback, like it just becomes about their liabilities as a passer. But we never talk about a statue or a pocket quarterback, and you know, and like condemn them for not being able to run the football. Pick a stat and you can find a quarterback <laughs> that people look at, you know, through a clear lens. And Jalen Hurst is better than them at throwing the football. PFF passing grade, Jalen Hurst was better than Jimmy Garoppolo and Russell Wilson last year. He averaged more yards per attempt than Patrick Mahomes. He had a higher adjusted completion rate. You know, we're taking into account drops and throwaways and things like that. Better adjusted completion rate than Mac Jones and Josh Allen. Oh, by the way, he just put together one of the top 10 rushing seasons in NFL history. What Jalen Hurst did last year in terms of fantasy points from rushing production was better than anything Michael Vick ever did. Now, I'm not saying he's better than Michael Vick, but if he's going to have, you know, 50 more rush attempts and score some touchdowns, we'll take it. So for me, Jalen Hurts, absolutely signing up for him as the QB6. We need to realize, guys, we're playing fantasy football, not real life. And these guys that have his sort of rushing workload, and as, uh, you know, we were talking about in the first contract, still expecting that to continue. You heard it here first. Ian just said he's Lamar Jackson, Patrick Holmes, and Josh Allen all in one. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> be cautious of. All right, be cautious of, and that means these are our lower tier guys, the guys you want to kind of stay away from. And I don't know how much of a bust you are when you're already being valued at QB 24 and 25, but that's what I'm looking at when I'm looking at a Carson Wentz and I'm looking at a Daniel Jones. Now, Carson Wentz, he's on his last chance. I think we can all agree with that. The ADP right now, QB 25. My rank, I have him at QB 24. Just a little bit vice versa with him and Daniel Jones, who's the other way around for me. Now, the only reason why I have Carson Wentz one spot ahead of Daniel Jones is just because I think people have underestimated Carson Wentz's throwing ability. He wasn't that bad last year, guys. 27 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. I know everyone gets hooked on the Jacksonville game of it all. But he wasn't that bad, and he maintained Michael Pittman at a wide receiver 15. We're going to talk about Terry McLaurin a little bit later in the show. You bring on Carson Wentz. What are we looking at for here? It's his last chance, and the play calling with a decent quarterback that's not named Kyle Allen or Taylor Heineke or whoever you want to put out there. Normally speaking, Scott Turner wants a 60-40 split. So, Chris, when you're looking at Carson Wentz, do you see any upside, or are you just worried about what he can do for everyone else? Now, let's make it really clear. These Both these guys, Daniel Jones and Carson Wentz, I'm not you know, advising you to spend any high draft capital, but I think these are two guys to kind of look at for some upside. Daniel Jones uses his legs. Carson Wentz is a guy that had historically used his legs, but both better offenses with better offensive coordinators than they had previous years. I think Carson Wentz in particular, you have more weapons than he had with the Colts, a guy that was very effective in the play action pass, the top, one of the top guys off the of play actions, deep passing last year. Um, so when you look at Carson Wentz, I think there's a lot of upside for him. And when you look at a, de- a division that the defenses aren't, you know, all world defenses. I know the Cowboys have, you know, some guys that are pretty good or kind of turnover reliant. The Eagles made some adjustments on defense, but overall these defenses aren't nothing kind of right home about. So I think when you look at kind of what Carson Wentz can bring to the table, this guy's probably a, an option you might have as a streaming option, but maybe a, a you know, a second quarterback to kind of on your roster that might have some upside. 
Is there any upside with Wentz and Jones, uh, Ian? I agree with Chris's sentiment. Like, if you're just in a regular friends, one quarterback redraft league, you're not touching Wentz throughout the whole year. But this idea that, like, he was the reason why the Colts, like, failed so miserably last year, come the hell on. Week 18 (laughs) was the first time since week three that Jonathan Taylor didn't hit 100 yards or a touchdown. And no one's saying a damn word about it. Like, it only becomes Wentz's fault when the Colts actually lose the football game. You put on those film and you'll see a couple high-level throws each and every game. Now, I agree the low-light film might be twice as long as the highlight film. So I'm not trying to say Wentz is about to get back to his 2017 ways, but he's free. And as someone that plays a bunch of underdog contests, including one this afternoon, I, I was lucky enough to grab Terry McLaurin in round four. And when you know you get into these end of the, end of the round end of the draft rounds my goodness Ian once you get to that later stage like it's between Carson Wentz Jared Goff and all these other guys and let's face it Wentz has more mobility he's shown a higher fantasy ceiling like the guy should have won an MVP in 2017 if he didn't get hurt how many bad quarterbacks can say that they ever played at an MVP level for any level of time so I just think with the Carson Wentz thing man like this offseason has done so much bad for him. He hasn't even played a snap of football. We have the Colts owner and just one guy after another talking all kinds of ish about, you know, Carson Wentz day after day. And it's like, look, I understand if you're a Colts fan, you're disappointed what he did. Eagles fans as well. But we're still talking about probably a top 25, 30 quarterback on planet Earth. Like, Maybe chill out on Carson Wentz a little bit. If you really <laughs> want to get mad at someone, there are, I believe me, there are worse people in the NFL to get mad at than Carson Wentz and just the whole kind of thing going on at him. So long story short, no, we're not that interested in fantasy land. But if you're doing best ball, you need multiple quarterbacks, not a bad correlation play because Washington gave up way too much to acquire him for them to sit him down anytime soon. All right, let's move into our running backs and let's start off with a lock them in. Lock them in. It's a lock. First off, I want to talk about Saquon Barkley. He is my number one rated running back in the NFC East. His ADP right now sits at 15. He's my RB16. Tells you something about what's going on in the NFC East right now. That's my number one guy for that division. Couple questions, obviously. Can he stay healthy? Can he play more, more than half the season? Is actually my note in here. Will he get back on track in the receiving game? That's the question. So I'm going to kick this off with Ian first. Will he get back on track in the receiving game and get at least to be a stable RB2, maybe with some extra upside if he can actually stay healthy on the field? Dan, you said you're worried about his injuries. Why is Saquon, explain to me why Saquon is more injury prone than Jonathan Taylor or Derrick Henry. Why is he? Just because he has been injured for the past couple of seasons. I mean, is that medically in history, if you're injured last few seasons, you're more likely to? Yes. I don't know. Maybe you know. <laughs> we don't freaking know, but we pretend like we can predict injuries better than anything, and it infuriates me every year. Well, this it is a question, year, is it not? This time last year, the same people were saying, fade Joe Mixon, he's just going to get hurt. What happens if he does? What happens if he doesn't get hurt, man? There are studies, and, and specifically, shout out to Tay Seth, PFF intern. He's doing great things at Michigan. Probably going to go solve real world problems instead of mm. dealing with our world. <laughs> he showed that fifteen hundred carries, fifteen hundred professional carries, you can expect a running backs, you know, expected yards over average to start going down. They're not going to be the same guy. I get that wear and tear. We're not even talking about wear and tear of Saquon Barkley. As bad as Saquon was last year, he averaged the same exact yards per carry as James Conner and Alvin Kamara. You would never know that, though, based on the general sentiment. According to the public, Saquon Barkley is just now the worst running back. Because why? He played through his injury. He got hurt. 
after week what week five against the Cowboys, before that, he had two top 12 finishes. No one was complaining when he scored in that 50-yard touchdown against the Saints going bonkers in the end zone. But because Saquon decided to come back from injury, play through the pain, whereas Derrick Henry or DeAndre Swift just sat on the bench, now we look at Saquon saying, that dude was hurt, but he sucked when he was hurt. Like, yeah, the dude's injured on terrible offense. What do you expect? Whereas someone like Derrick Henry, DeAndre Swift, they just didn't play while they were hurt, and we all of a sudden assume they're going to be back at full strength. So with Saquon, look at the team. How many touches is he going to get? 300-plus. That's the answer. Is Matt Breida, who couldn't even get a role in Buffalo, under the same coach calling the plays, Brian Dable going to factor into that? Absolutely not. Saquon Barkley is my RB9, and people are going to come around to this more and more as the year goes on. I don't give a shit about this training camp report saying he's being (laughs) used more as a receiver. The dude caught 90 passes his first year in the NFL. You don't think he can catch the ball? For me, Saquon Barkley is the, you know, I have him right next to James Conner and Leonard Fournette. There's guys that are going to touch the ball more and more as soon as the season starts. Do you guys remember the Dearness Johnson week? Everyone touted Dearness Johnson. Why? He's getting the ball. No one even knew who Dearness Johnson was before he was getting that. It's only in the offseason when we're going through the draft and we're like, oh, no, his vision, his ability to break tackles. Look, when you touch the ball 20, 30 times a game, it doesn't matter, man. You're going to get enough opportunities, especially in full-point PPR, to make that come through. Saquon Barkley is issues Joe Mixon. Take him in the third round. We're not talking about Saquon from three years ago where you had to use a top-five pick on him. Don't hate the player. Hate the ADP. Draft Saquon Barkley. Well, first of all, you hit the nail on the head as to why I have him ranked as the top NFC running back heading into this thing. He is my RB16. I'm not quite as high as you are, but that's built in. The risk of Saquon Barkley is built into where his value's at at the moment. I'll, I'll throw you this one. We can't predict injury, but how about touchdown efficiency, which hasn't really been great for Saquon. Chris, I'm going to kick this one to you. Over the past few seasons, recent efficiency, 2.1% touchdown rate on the running game, 3.2% in the passing game. Can he get more productive on that side, or will he just get enough volume that it doesn't matter? Well, I don't think – I think it does matter. I mean, I do think the volume is definitely going to help him give him a floor. I think you have a guy who's definitely going to be an RB2 in most offenses, especially a full-point PPR. But we're looking for a Saquon Barkley. If you're going to take him in the second or third round, you're probably hoping for a guy who's a game-changer for you to a degree – and I think there is concern about how much touchdowns this offense in general could score. I mean, I know they hired Brian, Brian Dable, but is he going to be able to work miracles overnight? This offense struggled to do anything versus Chicago Bears defense was definitely pathetic by the end of the year last year. And they could even basically were punting on, on, on third down trying to get, you know, get off the field. So I think we look at an offense that has a lot of questions that be answered. I think this is particularly one. And Saquon Barkley, the concern you have with him is, is he so reliant on his explosiveness? One of my you know, knocks out him coming out of the college was I thought he had a little bit of lack of vision. So I do agree with you know Ian, where if you get a lot of touches, it's going to make up for it in a lot of ways. But we look at a team that can, you know, you got to kind of you got to kind of protect this guy in some kind of sense. He's not a guy who's gonna touch the ball thirty times, or he will wear down. He will get kind of beat up. So I think that's you kind of have a a, a, a catch twenty two in a sense with Saquon, where a guy can definitely a game changer. I wouldn't expect you to spend too much high draft capital on him, but I do think is a guy that you're looking to hopefully cap, you know capture magic in a bottle and definitely has some upside. We've, you saw what Devin Sickles Harry did led towards the end of the year in Buffalo's offense. He definitely could maybe be a productive guy that way. Um, but Brian Dable also loves to kind of tinker with his running back, so it's where it's going to get interesting, especially the guy who's in his contract year. Well, I don't think they're going to tinker with Matt Breida backing him up, but I want to move on to Ezekiel Elliott here. It was weird. It was weird for me to have Ezekiel Elliott as low as I do, RB17, but I think there's a lot of questions that comes involved. However, he's still in our lock part of this. 
Because he's still gonna, you're still gonna draft Ezekiel Elliott. You're still gonna plug him in your lineup every single week. Remember last year, he still finished as an RB one. Yes, was that because he played more games than most of the other running backs? As everybody else got hurt, yeah, to some degree. But still, when I look at Ezekiel Elliott in his last year of his deal, presumably because they could probably get out of it after this season, he's a type of guy that who's just he's just gonna get the touches. It's not gonna be Tony Pollard, I don't believe, overtaking him this season. They are going to live and die by Ezekiel Elliott until that contract is done with, and they're going to have to justify that by playing him this season. But I do have some concerns. There's a downgrade the offensive line. They lost some key pieces that they did not really do a good job of of replacing. I was not a fan of their first-round pick. How does he respond this year coming back off of PCL injury? Remember, guys returning from PCL injuries who played through them, they are more likely to re-injure that or hurt something else for compensating. And I, I do want to point this out for the for the uh, for the Pollard part before we kick this over to Ian. Last year was the closest the gap has ever been. Zico Elliott fifty five percent to Pollard's thirty five percent. Elliott had fifty eight percent of the targets compared to Pollard's forty one percent. I don't know that gap is that much closer. And even if it does, it's still going to be Ezekiel Elliott leading the way. So he comes in my RB seventeen. But I do have some concerns. What about you, Ian? Look, he tears the PCL in week four. Tony Pollard gets more involved than ever down the stretch. Zeke is clearly a shell of himself. Watch one primetime game and go on Twitter, and you would think the guy shouldn't even have a job in the NFL. From week five into the rest of the season, Zeke was the RB19 in PPR points per game. So I'm not I'm not doing the circus of saying, hey, you know, look at all the games he played. He finished as an RB1 per game. He was the RB19. He's going behind that. We just saw the worst case scenario for Ezekiel Elliott. And this goes back to what I was saying earlier. Like, how come we don't look at Zeke's first four games of the year? He was balling. Top eight RB. Crushing it. Running all over the Panthers and stuff. Looking fast. Even that Buccaneers game, man. Like, when they sell out at the line of scrimmage, Dak those for 400 yards. If you actually watched that game, you saw Zeke beating Devin freaking White to the corner. Like, there were good things, really good things happening during his first four weeks. He got hurt, and he played through the pain. So it's just wild to me that we hold those extra weeks so much against Zeke when, again, someone like Derrick Henry, to say the same example, we don't look at the second half of the season that Derrick Henry missed and say, bro, you weren't on the field. You were giving me zero fantasy points. We look at the first eight games when he was getting an unsustainable 30 carries per game averaging a full yard less per carry than he did a year before, but we take our fantasy points. Who the hell cares? If they were ever going to put Pollard over Zeke, it would have happened last year on a competitive team when Zeke was hurt, and they still didn't do it. And at least for one more year, they have 90 million reasons why they should continue not to do it. So, look, I'm not incredibly high on Zeke. I'm more high on Saquon. Um, So I have Zeke as my RB18, but that's still ahead of consensus, man. And I just think that, again, if you just – if you just talked about Zeke, if you were just removed the name, you said, hey, here's a running back. He's on a $90 million contract. He's on the reigning number one scoring offense in the NFL. I think the fewest touches he's had in the season, like even when he played 10 games, was like 250 or something like that. You'd be saying, sign up. He's only like 26 years old. He's not even over the overall age cliff. He is over the total carries cliff, but at the same time, those touches aren't going anywhere. Zico Elliott, if you find yourself, you know, you get three wide receivers or so in the first three rounds, he is your ideal running back to grab. Again, just like Saquon, you can't look at Zeke and Saquon saying they burned me the last few years. They burned you when you drafted them in the first round. Now they're available in the third, in Zeke's case, the fourth, and sometimes even the fifth. Don't hate the player, hate the ADP. 
Yeah, we're in agreement that Tony Pollard's not overtaking Zeke this year. Chris, we got a new segment to introduce. Look out for. Now, look out for. This can go either way. It's, it's look. You can look out for red flags or look out for, as in, this is a guy that I like as a sleeper coming up. The first guy, though, he's kind of more on the negative connotation of it. That's Antonio Gibson. His ADP is RB14. I have him a little bit lower than that. I have him at RB19. I'm just worried. J.D. McKissick, they brought him back, got him away from signing the contract with Buffalo, presumably to continue his role. And while Ron Rivera likes to talk out of his ass on a pretty consistent basis, there's a part of me that believes him when he says that Brian Robinson's going to get involved at least at an annoying amount. And if he starts to lose out on goal line touches on top of J.D. McKissick, things get really bad really fast for Antonio Gibson. But Chris, what do you think about Gibson heading into this season? Yeah, I 100% agree. I am not a big Gibson fan at all this year. Um, definitely a guy that I think is clearly below, my, my opinion, Zeke and Saquon. Zeke's probably my favorite running back in this division. Uh, I think he has the safest floor. We look at Gibson, you question, is he going to get the touchdown usage? You question, is he going to get the passing usage? We've heard the last two, three years about the Christian McCaffrey role that's you know, kind of custom-made for this guy. is never going to materialize. JT McKissick's resigning basically ensured that for you. The Brian Robinson signing also ensured you this guy's not going to get the red zone touches necessarily. Now, is there a role for him? Yes, but we've seen this kind of unfold in other places when they you know, have three running backs. It's going to be really hard from week to week to pick when that's going to happen. So you might get screwed having him in your lineup, or you might get, you know, get a boom here or there. But what you don't want to have to do is put Aaron, this guy in your lineup week in, week out, hoping. And I think if you're going to draft this guy where, you know, 19 as an RB2, I think there's other options that are clearly higher, have more upside. And the guy that I think does, um, you know, I think the writing's on the wall. When you, when you spend the draft capital and, you know, the resigning money they have, Washington doesn't have a lot of money necessarily under the cap to be spending Jaden McKissick. So it shows you something that they, they definitely want to split the carries. And Ron Rivera talking about his ass, he definitely does that. But he also has a history of using multiple backs. We saw that in Carolina. Mike Tolbert had the role. Uh, D'Angelo Williams. Um, you saw that the guys kind of all the role. They all ate. Difference is you had Cam Newton as a quarterback and a guy who was clearly a run first or offense around a quarterback who ran the ball a lot and you kind of run option off of. I'm sorry. Um, but Carson Wentz isn't that same kind of mobility or not. He's not running the same kind of offenses. Offense is definitely more 60 40, as you talked about. Scott Turner likes to throw the ball a lot shorter, a lot more passing. So I think this is not going to materialize for Gibson. And I think this guy might be out of the league sooner than later. If he could just get more involved in the passing, it wouldn't be so bad. But last year, when, when McKissick went down, he got 4.4 targets per game but with McKissick in the game still 2.9 targets if that in each game and that's my concern overall Antonio Gibson if you add in a Brian Robinson Ian give me your thoughts on Gibson but also I want to go down to Miles Sanders who I have at RB28 with not much upside because of his touchdown inabilities and I think Boston Scott believe it or not it could wind up getting that role again last year was not the first year that Boston Scott had a really good season as far as his touchdown efficiency goes and I, that might be something that's here to stay we think of him as a little guy I think it was a Darren Sproles think of him as a scat back truth is he can actually get it done at the goal line I don't know if Sanders gets that roll back so both Gibson and Sanders worried about their touchdown production what do you think about those two guys I actually have Sanders ranked ahead of Gibson. I mean, we don't need to listen to Ron Rivera. Listen to the organization drafting a running back in the third round. That's where Gibson was drafted. And let's quit pretending. Look, 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. Credit to Gibson, as I'm going this injury tangent every time I talk. Like, Gibson was playing through a lot of pain every single game last year. I'm not trying to chastise him as a player. He was bad. Look, he was playing through the pain, but he was bad. I mean, you pick a stat, any stat. He led the league in fumbles. He was 36 among 50 running backs in yards per carry. He was not elusive. 44th in PFF rushing grade. Like, yeah, he caught passes after J.D. McKissick got hurt. Guess who got re-signed? J.D. McKissick. And then you add an early down back to the equation. Like, in fantasy football, it's not 2000 anymore. You know, we can't – we have to understand that there's not going to be these workhorse backs all around the league. We can live with two back committees. But three, that's where I'm out on it. And that's what Antonio Gibson's in. So, you know, it's one of these things where I think people are just holding on too much to what we were hoping he could be instead of looking at what he is going to be. And, unfortunately, that's not – DC CMC as we were hoping for. And as Kyle freaking Allen had to tell us that it was going to be damn man, Kyle <laughs> Allen, he took Curtis Samuel from us and then he pulls this. Oh man, I cannot have enough. I will say with Miles Sanders, I just think he has a better chance of taking over the backfield and the cost difference is huge. You, you If you want Antonio Gibson, he is cheaper, but he's still going in round four, usually maybe more around five. Miles Sanders is available like round eight or later in underdog drafts right now. And when I started previewing the Eagles, I was looking at, my assumption was that basically he was unfortunately being vultured by Jalen Hurts, and that really didn't come into fruition. If you look at the snap battle inside the five-yard line and 12 games of Miles Sanders was healthy, was Miles Sanders for 15 snaps, Boston Scott for eight, Kent Gillen for four, and Jordan Howard for only one. So Jordan Howard out of the picture. Boston Scott, fair play, good player. He is a giant killer. If they play the New York Giants, just start Boston Scott. <laughs> He's going to go out there and do great things. But, man, Miles Sanders was hurt that entire season, bro. Over the last two years, hamstring, knee, ankle injuries. He breaks his hand in week 16 last year. Like, historically, the players that have had this amount of touches and not score a touchdown are just so slim. So, for me, Miles Sanders, when he was out there, he was the lead back. It's the same offense. I just think that he has a better chance of taking over the backfield than Antonio Gibson, who obviously has far more competition, in my opinion. So for me, I actually love the, that range of the draft, though. Like last year, we talked about the running back dead zone. It's being incorporated a lot more into the public perception this year. So even starting around seven and eight, you can start getting guys like Claude Eversolaire, Cordero Patterson, Miles Sanders, Chase Edmonds. I'm not saying I love them, but around seven through eight, after you take some dope wide receivers before, sign me up. Well, yeah, the running back dead zone, it moved from rounds four through six to, like you're saying, seven, eight, and nine. And all of a sudden, you're seeing that shift. All the receivers are getting crammed in. And now, 
I'm willing, like you point out, I am willing to take those guys there. I might not love Gibson, yep. might not love Sanders, but I am willing to take those guys there. We got to hit a quick break. When we come back on the other side, we still got wide receivers and tight ends to talk about. So don't go anywhere. Stay tuned to the Empty's Phase Football Show. We'll be back right after this. Sweet Sack Summer is approaching, and it's time for you to prioritize the comfort of your crotch. That's why the kings of crotch comfort Manscaped have spent two years designing the most comfortable boxer briefs out there. I've had the honor of testing out these new boxers, and I can say it's the softest fabric of any underwear. So breathable that it's like gills for your groin. They even trademark the jewel pouch, so you know it's serious. I think it's time you invest in your family jewels, so let your bulge breathe and get 20% off and free shipping when you use the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY at manscaped.com. Let's say you're on a date and your partner catches that manscape on the waistband of your underwear. It's almost guaranteed to raise some eyebrows and act like a billboard on the highway to Pleasure Town. This is thanks to the Lawnmower 4.0, the best electric trimmer for below-the-waist grooming. This trimmer offers skin-safe technology designed to trim hair on loose skin. Outside of just ball trimming, they're now focusing their efforts on helping out your thigh slappers in other ways with game-changing boxers. These boxer features include the Jewel Pouch, a pouch designed to cradle your boys in their own special space, lined with perforated performance fabric, and keep them well-ventilated. Basically, just imagine your balls sipping pina coladas, chilling on a hammock on some tropical beach. Get 20% off and free shipping when you use the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY at manscaped.com. One more time. That's promo code BELLYUPFANTASY to get 20% off and free shipping. Once the Boxers 2.0 touch your sack, you'll never go back. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. We are back, baby, on the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Dan Mater. Joined here with my partner in crime, Mr. Christopher Dauer, and our great guest, Ian Harditz from PFF, the host of the PFF fantasy podcast we're talking about the team profiles for the nfc east going through some of our players what we're expecting heading into 2022 and i want to get right into the lock ins for the wide receiver lock them in it's a lock first up cd lamb i love cd lamb this season i know i wanted to break out last year he did good he did good not great he did good no amari cooper this season they're, they're actually going to be leaning on him heavily, especially early on, because we might not have Michael Gallup for possibly two to three games, maybe more than that. I got to be more convinced if he's actually going to be able to make it back before that, how late his injury was. So all of a sudden, I look at CeeDee Lamb. Guess what? Cedric Wilson's out of the way. You can line him in the slot. You can line up outside. You're going to be featured all over the place. He's my wide receiver six. His ADP is wide receiver nine. I'll give this to the Cowboy fan first because I have to. What's your expectation for CeeDee Lamb? Uh, nuclear. He turned 23 in April. Everyone's like, he didn't break out last year. He was 22 years old with Amari Cooper in the same <laughs> offense. Like, and it's not like he just stunk. He was a top 20 fantasy wide receiver. It's not like you drafted CD Lamb and you were just like, you know, it wasn't LaVisca Chanel or something like that. Like, give me a freaking break. And everything you just said, there's for some reason in the fantasy industry, there's this inclination to just dismiss available targets. Like, we are better at predicting volume than anything else. And I agree, talent and efficiency is a major part of that. 
what part of that is CD Lamb missing, man? Look at every single thing. Look at all the advanced metrics he's done in his first two years. Look at those buckets he falls in. The dude's an elite receiver. He's been that really, you know, again, for the first two years, and now he's about to explode because he finally has that number one wide receiver role all to himself. Hey, and even grew a half inch, right? Let's throw some freaking May <laughs> uh, training camp storylines into there. So for me, CeeDee Lamb, like he's, if you just have watched the Cowboys games like I have, and I'm sure many of you have as well, he looks like a freaking stud. He is a stud. You look at the stats, let's freaking draft him. He's my wide receiver five. And here's the thing, man. I feel like when people on you know the Twitter crowd, they see the wide receiver rankings and they just go, why, do, why can you possibly have him that high? Look at everyone else that's competing with him. Devontae, Tyreek, change teams. Keenan Allen just turned 30. Debo, is Trey Lance going to be under center? That's going to mess up the offense. Mike Evans, he's getting older. T. Higgins, he's the wide receiver too. A.J. Brown, he's in Philly. Like, okay, I'm taking Chase, Jefferson, Cup. Not, not in that order. I got Cup first. Not trying to be too crazy. <laughs> Stephon Diggs. I'm taking those guys ahead of CeeDee Lamb. And that's it. Continuity means something. And in this offseason cycle, we get so obsessed with the draft and trades and free agency. I'm going to take the guy that's just getting better in the same team he's been working with over the last few years. Love it. Chris, you like me, we're huge AJ Brown fans. We've loved them since the beginning. I, I, I can't express how much I love AJ Brown but I am a little bit lower on him than ADP. His ADP right now is at wide receiver eight. I have him at wide receiver 10. Again, that goes back to I'm a little bit concerned about his quarterback being Jalen Hurts. It is a bit of a downgrade from a passer standpoint. Tannehill, 67% completion percentage. Hurts, 61%. Is that going to matter for A.J. Brown this season in your eyes? No. I think all of answer for A.J. Brown is he healthy. I think last year you saw when he's not healthy, this guy was kind of a disappointment. When he's healthy, he's a baller. I think this guy showed that you've limited catches, whether it's four catches, whereas six catches, it doesn't matter. He makes plays. Uh, you know, two years ago, his rookie year, Ryan Tannehill was, you know, had some better numbers, as you pointed out. But when he actually targeted A.J. Brown, he made the best he could do with about three or four catches per game. So I think when you look at a guy's explosiveness, the ability he has, the offense around him, I think he has, you know, just as repeats the numbers that he has had, if not better, um, and continues to do so. I think the key for him is going to be health. I agree. I, I agree. They brought him in to be the feature guy. There's there's no question about that. They brought him in to be the feature guy. And who? what quarterback's not going to love a guy like A.J. Brown? Let's move to Terry McLaurin. Ian, now I'm right on par with Let's ADP. Go. His ADP is wide receiver 15. I have him actually at wide receiver 15. Carson Wentz, believe it or not, guys, is the best quarterback he's had in his career. There's absolutely no doubt about that in my mind. How excited were we last season when we thought Ryan Fitzpatrick was going to be the quarterback because he could actually throw, the, or willing, I should say, to throw the ball down the field to his wide receivers. Carson Wentz will do that. Remember, Michael Pittman was the wide receiver 15. He doesn't have the big playability of a Terry McLaurin. Carson Wentz hasn't had that type of receiver since Deshaun Jackson back in his Eagle days where he was actually productive with that player. So I'm big on Terry McLaurin. I feel like he's being slept on because everybody thought last year with the breakout and it didn't happen because the offense was terrible and it was Taylor Heineke. And now all of a sudden he gets left behind. But where are you at on Terry McLaurin? Wide receiver 13. Shout out Ryan Fitzpatrick, just retired today. Yes. As you said, how many freaking great wide receivers did Ryan Fitzpatrick just make a <laughs> boatload of money for, man? Stevie Johnson, Brandon Marshall, Devontae Parker. I'm not saying they would have gotten there without him, but man, Fitz knows when he has number one receiver and he's going to air it out to him. And that's what made last season so disappointing for Terry. But I know uh, my company, PFF, sometimes our grades get shit on a little bit by the outsiders. And look, I'm not trying to say that PFF grades should be replaced and be the you know one all be all stop for any football player but you, you are 
No, I'm not. You can't. Bro, like it reminds me of a why would I do that? Like it reminds me of like in high school and people would like, you know, you're applying to jobs. They're like, what's your ACT score? Like you're going to, you're, uh, what was the, um, Matthew McConaughey going to outer space movie? He's like, it takes, oh, Interstellar. Interstellar. He's like, it takes two numbers to measure the size of my ass, but you know, you're going to put one number <laughs> on my kid's future. So no, I, I take, uh, you know, I, I take that very seriously and looking at, uh, you know, Terry and what he's been able to do and uh, Washington, it's just like, I don't want to write him off at this point just because he hasn't been able to get it going so far. So I'm losing a little bit of my train of thought because I'm jumping around a bunch of different uh, genres <laughs> right now. But basically with Terry, you were right, man. Carson Wentz is unfortunately the best quarterback of his career. As I refine this PFF grades, it's a piece of the puzzle, not the entire thing. So when I look at Terry, I see he's 25th yards per outrun, 35th yards per reception. Last year, here's the wide receiver, 30 and full PPR scoring. But he was the 13th. He's the number 13 wide receiver among 102 wide receivers with at least 100 targets over the last three years in PFF receiving grade. And one of the great things PFF grades do, they measure drops, they measure inaccurate passes, they measure the things that we don't get from counting numbers. So I'm not saying to completely dismiss counting numbers, but they were a piece of the puzzle, just like PFF grades can be as well. So, and just like watching the film is as well, man. So, like when I was writing my Washington uh, commit, now that the Commanders uh, preview, I was ready to be lower on Terry because I'm I'm from Columbus. I'm an Ohio State fan. I was like Ian, <laughs> probably hyping him up a little too much. I watched the film, man. I moved him up in the rankings. Like there was this play against the Falcons where he literally shook the defender to the ground. Heineke did not see him for another three seconds and forced this like contested catch scenario. And I thought it was the best instance I've ever seen on film of showing why contested catch rates don't necessarily imply an inability to separate Matt Harmon shout out Yahoo does a fantastic job with reception perception he watches every single route these guys are running and grades them accordingly that's the only way you can do it we all know separation is a real thing and it exists but contested catches is not an appropriate way to measure that Terry McLaurin is one of the best receivers in the NFL. Sadly, Wentz is the best quarterback. He's going to be featured as the wide receiver one. I think after after A.J. Brown, I have him as my wide receiver 12. I'm taking Michael Pittman, and then I'm taking Terry McLaurin. I love it. And for the record, even a fantasy nerd like me still subscribes to PFF because I need all the information. What's So we're, we're both on the same page there, not, not to worry. Chris, let's go to our next segment. Look out for... Look it out for negative connotation. Well, actually, I don't know. I don't. This is actually this. You know what? I take that back. Kadarius Tony is the perfect example of a lookout for because I view him as a sleeper and as a guy that I'm worried about at the same exact time. His ADP right now is wide receiver 49. I do have him ranked at wide receiver 43. Couple questions: Are the early off-field issues still lingering? Supposedly not. You know the stuff that almost got him traded in the NFL draft, that they've been able to find a suitor. Why they took Wandale Robinson in the second round inexplicably? I'm pretty sure they still brought back David Gettleman to make that pick. That's what I'm convinced would happen. But nonetheless, he takes over the slot role. We don't know exactly when Sterling Shepard will be back. So if Kadarius Tony mans the slot, knowing how Daniel Jones has targeted that in his past and that Brian Dayball wants to be a pass-first guy if he can help it, what do you think about Kadarius Tony? Does he have a ceiling this season? 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. I'm not in love with his ceiling. I mean, he's definitely explosive ability. You saw the two games that he basically played, but the key thing was the two games he played. The guy's been injured since he's been in school. Um, when you look at the offense, what they added, you, you're talking about the slot receiver. Is it definitely his? I mean, Giants spent some draft capital. It was stupid draft capital, in my opinion, but since some draft capital and a receiver that's going to be primarily only a slot receiver, I would imagine, and uh, emulates what Tony does in a lot of different ways as well. Tony had a hard time kind of finding his you know role last year when the receivers were healthy, kind of found his way as receivers through attrition. And I think you look at this year, you know, Brian Dable's definitely a better offensive coordinator, no doubt, than Jason Garrett, and I think has a better chance of utilizing him properly. But we look at the weapons still in place. There's a lot of different mouths still kind of feed. And, you know, if you're going to have Saquon Barkley be this featured guy in the passing game as well, I think Tony's going to have the guys going to kind of suffer because where he kind of makes his hay is going to be some of those things you're going to ask the running back to be doing. When you look at, you know, Brian Dable's offense, you don't have Josh Allen throwing the ball. So they're not going to be Buffalo out there. So don't get it twisted with how offensively you know, minded is going to be passing the ball. They're still going to run the ball a decent amount. They're still going to have to kind of protect Daniel Jones because this guy isn't, you know, also pro quarterback out there. So you put all those things together. I think Tony's a guy that you might take a shot on, but it's not like I'm, you know, I'm necessarily banking on in any kind of capacity. Well, I'll say this too, and we'll just lump in Kenny Galladay into this conversation. I'm I'm a little bit down on on all the giant receivers. Galladay, of course, you know he's got his own health issues, but 37 receptions, zero touchdowns last season. Has only had one double digit touchdown perform performance for a season in his entire career to begin with. Daniel Jones, one of the worst quarterbacks in the red zone. So, Ian, what do you think about about Darius Tony, does he have some upside? Does Kenny Galladay have some upside this season? What do you think make of the Giants wide receiving core? I'm a Chris where there's enough red flags with Tony to make me lean towards Galladay. Like one Dale Robinson. I don't think he's taking Kenny Galladay's job. I don't know why they drafted him to take Tony's job. Tony looked pretty damn good to me last year, but they, they took him and we need to accept that. There's this weird thing when these players like Wandale Robinson Alec Pierce, even like Jahan Dawson, some of these guys, like they get picked it ahead of where we expected it and almost gets held against them instead of being a positive. Like the Giants just told us that they value Wandale Robinson as a second round pick. That should be pretty important. Whose job is he taking? Again, I don't think it's going to be Kenny Galladay's. We'll see how Sterling Shepard is coming back from the injury. But Galladay just, I mean, how quickly we forget, guys. 2018, 2019, guy goes over 1,000 yards, leads the NFL in touchdown receptions in 2019. He plays four games in 2020. He goes over 100 yards and scores a touchdown in all those games. Unfortunately, gets hurt against the Colts, doesn't play the rest of the year. And yeah, last year didn't go great. He also suffered a hamstring injury in August. He strained his hip in week three, hyperextended his knee in week five. Oh, and he suffers a rib injury in week 13. He says, F it, I'm going to play. They're paying me money. Great, man. Go catch passes from Mike Glennon and Jake Fromm for the rest of the year. So to me, last year, same thing with Saquon. Like, just the worst amount of scenarios came to fruition. And, like, yeah, I don't blame anyone for ranking Kenny Galladay outside their top 30. I have him outside my top 50. But once you start getting to these rounds in the draft, you're looking at the potential Giants' number one receiver against a bunch of, like, number three receivers, 
for guys that are hurt, like, you know, your Michael Gallops and Jameson Williams of the world. So I think Kenny Galladay, where he's going now, round 11 or so, man, sign me up because he is a proven, talented receiver that the Giants have 72 million reasons why they should continue to try to feed the ball to. And, like, yeah, unless we – Someone needs to come out of the Giants passing game, right? So do we really think that even as bad as Daniel Jones is, they're not going to have a wide receiver in the top 50? Like, this is a perfect situation to look at and say all these guys are being priced far closer to their floor than their ceilings. If you drafted Galladay last year, he might have tanked your fantasy team. But come on, round 11 or round 12, he's fine. Well, and a lot of times when that happens, when you start getting projected around your floor rather than your ceilings, because there's so many red flags for everyone. No one's really sure which one is going to be the one that emerges. So you want to play it safe at the end of the day. And I'm kind of with them on that. Like I got Tony ranked ahead of Galladay just because of the slot. Again, Jones just loves the slot position. So whoever's going to play that, I think is going to get the most targets. I think that's going to be Tony week one, but I don't really love any of these guys. I do want to talk about somebody who I do love. And I want to get this to Chris because we debated about this in the NFL draft. Jalen Tolbert. All about Jalen Tolbert. Right now, his his ADP is like, it's going to have to come up. But it's, it's at 93 right now, which doesn't make any sense to me. There's no reason in my mind why Tolbert should not be a late-round flyer in your redrafts. Again, Michael Gallup, Steven Steven Jones came out and said, might not be for two to three games. Somebody else besides CeeDee Lamb in that wide receiver group has to catch the ball. I comped Jalen Tolbert to Michael Gallup during the pre-NFL draft process, which is why I was just flabbergasted when Dallas was the team that actually wound up taking him. But I think he has a very similar skill set. So, Chris, are you with me now on Tolbert, given the situation, or are you still still against me? I'm still – I mean, I, I'm not saying I'm against you in the fact that he has some upside potential – but I'm against you in the sense that it's guaranteed or you're looking for, you know, a, almost a, a guarantee in a sense. Michael Gallup missing two games isn't going to make me necessarily jump on him. And I look at the receivers they added. You're not a James Washington fan. Well, I think James Washington's probably got something similar to Michael Gallup and has the season veterans oh, ability to be James able to Washington already. I mean, you can say that, but they, they brought a guy in who I think is going to get some, some touches out there. I got to see Tolbert actually hit the field running. And Dallas is an offense. We look at the guys the mouths are going to feed. They have Pollard. They have the tight end. They have different guys they can kind of utilize. I don't see them having to find a way to get Tolbert the ball. They struggled to get Cooper and Lamb the ball last year consistently. They struggled to get all three of those guys the ball consistently. So why am I going to think that Jalen Tolbert, because he's a rookie, all of a sudden is going to be the guy they're trying to figure out Kellen Moore's game plan and make sure he gets them involved. I don't think that's going to happen necessarily. I think, like I said, Michael Gallup missing two games doesn't make me rush to that conclusion either. I'll be laughing when I beat you with him in my championship team. Be cautious of. All right, but I want to be cautious. <laughs> I want to be cautious of somebody, though, and that is every receiver on the commanders not named Terry McLaurin. I want to be cautious of Curtis Samuel. I want to be cautious of Jahan Dotson. People are, you know, trying to figure out with Dotson, he's got the first round capital. But Curtis Samuel, I got him ranked ahead of Dotson heading into this one. That's not where his ADP is at, but I do. Why? He's still getting $10 million this season, and he's supposed to be coming back healthy. I don't see a scenario in which they're not going to let Samuel get the first crack at it, and I do believe it'll be him, not Dotson, in two receiver sets. That's the other thing about this. Dotson, Samuel, similar style type of wide receivers. So I don't think they're always going to be on the same field outside of three receiver sets for this team. I don't really like the upside of either one, but Ian, do you like something or not about Curtis Samuel and Jahan Dotson? I think the answer is just no. I'd rather throw a dart at Dawson at this point. Washington made him a top 20 pick. I love Curtis Samuel. He is 
freaking great at football, but at the end of the day, he's projecting as their number three at best pass game option, and we need to try to follow those touches when possible. But looking at Curtis Samuel, like in 2020, all the way back in 2020, he outscored Cooper Cup in full PPR scoring. Now you can say, oh, well, Cooper Cup had to catch passes from Jared Goff. Curtis Samuel is catching passes from Teddy Bridgewater, man. Unfortunately, I don't like the best version of Curtis Samuel. Everyone, we spent the whole offseason. Who's the next Debo Samuel? Look at the guy with the same last name. Like Curtis was a high school running back. He came to Ohio State as a running back, backing up Zeke, eventually transitioned to wide receiver, and he's such a freak athlete, and he's still young enough to actually pull it off. So I love it with Curtis, and he had that three-year, $34.5 million deal. How could you not? But once they draft Dotson, again, if I was running the Washington football team, Washington Commanders, my God. Like, look, I would I would feature Curtis Samuel. I'm not, though, so I'm not going to pretend that I am. They drafted Jahan Dotson, so I'm going to take him over. Let's move it to tight ends. Lock him in. It's a lock. A lock him in, guys. I will. I have an observation to make. All the Dallas players at the top of the list when it comes to the NFC East, when it comes to these fantasy guys. And that's why Dalton Schultz is my top tight end. And that's actually against ADPs, against consensus right now. A lot of people have Dallas Goddard ahead. I don't. I think the addition of A.J. Brown having to still get Devonta Smith involved is going to detract from him just a little bit. I go back to the point of making all night about Dallas. Michael Gallup, don't know when he's coming back. Amari Cooper's gone. Dalton Schultz was already a safety blanket for Dak Prescott last season. I don't see why that would not continue. But, Chris, where are you at on Dalton Schultz? Yeah, I'm really bullish on him as well. I think this guy could be arguably a top, you know, top five tight end definitely in this this season. Uh, you look at a guy that definitely is Dak Prescott's best friend, a guy they look for in the red zone, the guy they look for in key plays. And I think his offense, he's he could be the guy who steps up to kind of fill some of that void that Amari Cooper moves on from. I think you see a guy that's going to be moved around in the formations. And I think above all, Kellen Warner has a kind of game plan to get him the ball. I think that's kind of something that gets forgotten about when we talk about Dallas' offense, what they can do or they can't do with their playmakers. Kellen Warner kind of has what he's good at and what he's not so great at. And I think when it looks what he's able to do, tight ends are something he definitely could figure out ways to get some kind of single coverage. A lot of it's because of receivers that they have, but he's able to do so. And as a result, this, this guy's going to be open a lot for uh, Dak, and I think he's going to continue to be so. I throw a little shade at Dallas Goddard, but he's still my tight end eight. He's still in my top 10, but I got some questions. Can this Eagle offense sustain three weapons, A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, and Dallas Goddard? What do you think, Ian? Goddard's better than Dalton Schultz, and that's why it's so tough for us to admit that Schultz <laughs> is the guy we should pick first in fantasy, but that's the reality. If A.J. Brown had never joined the Eagles, I'd be more willing to go with Goddard because he would have a chance to be the number one pass game option on the team, which only a few guys can attest to having that opportunity. But that's not the case. A.J. Brown's going to be the one, so we have a more pass-happy, more productive Cowboys passing game. Where Schultz, we just talked about Jalen Tolbert and Michael Gallup's injury. Like There really isn't a confirmed wide receiver, two in Dallas right now with that injury in mind. Might as well be Dalton Schultz. So last year, only six tight ends to average at least 12 PPR points per game. Andrews, Kelsey, Kittle, Gronk, and Dalton Schultz. He outscored Darren Waller last season. Like, again, I get it. He doesn't have the craziest, you know, Raz score in the world. He's not someone that we were all on. But at some point, like, watching what the guy has done the last two years has to overstate, you know, what we thought about them before they were a prospect or even what we think about them from a talent perspective. So, for me, Dalton Schultz, he is my tight end seven, I believe. I am still taking Rob Gronkowski ahead of him. He's going to play football, guys. Take advantage of that eight days of the week. But Dalton Schultz, I'm taking him ahead of Goddard, ahead of Hawkinson. Like, we're looking at a similar role. Pick the Cowboys offense. It's that simple. (laughs) 
This is, seems that's what it definitely seems to be easy game. so far at this point. Look out for look out for, and I'm looking out for this guy in a positive way. Logan Thomas is ADP right now. It's tight end 16. I have him as my tight end 13, just outside my top 12. Look, I was never a big fan of Logan Thomas when everybody else was, but now I feel like I'm pushing the train in the opposite direction. Everyone's hating on him because he was injured last season. I just talked about how I'm not a fan of any of the commander receivers not named Terry McLaurin because I am a fan of Logan Thomas. Carson Wentz has a history of throwing to tight ends, especially when he has decent ones, especially in the red zone. So I have it again, tight end 13. I'm not going crazy, but I think he could legitimately be the main option in the red zone, maybe even the second option. But what do you think, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I also agree with, you know, I love Dallas Goddard's talent. I think the sky is, you know, definitely the sky's the limit for him. Problem for him is it's never his turns never seems to come. And I look at Logan Thomas, a different situation where he's not necessarily as you know good, but his terrors came in a sense where look at the receiving core, they have a bunch of midgets and those are smurfs in a sense, and a guy who's six foot six, a guy who could be definitely the red zone, and a guy that Carson Wentz is going to be easy, easy to see and target in that red zone. So you put those things together. I like the upside. Tyler Heineke made this guy relevant a couple of years, you know, a couple of years ago. So if that guy can get the ball, I think Carson Wentz can get you the ball. And I think you look at the rest of the weapons in place. One thing Scott Turner has been able to do throughout his career, whether it was Carolina or in Washington, has got the head end of the ball. Uh, we saw even Rocky Seals Jones have some decent games, you know, when he was out there. So I look at all those different factors, and I'm with you. I think Logan Thomas could be those guys that can kind of, you know, sneakily be one of those good tight ends to have on your roster this year. All right. Be cautious of any Giants tight end. That's who we're being cautious of. So, Ian, we're going to close out the show on this note. So, tell me, is there anything you think that might come out of the Giants tight end? And then also, where can everybody follow you at? What do you want everybody to go check out? I like Ricky Seals Jones. As Chris said, he did some good things last year. But the problem was that Washington, they won't give Antonio Gibson a three down roll. They literally played Logan Thomas, Ricky Seals Jones, John Bates. 100% snaps. Like, there's nothing else like it in the league. <laughs> they would do it. So, RSJ, if he gets that role, that's great. Guys, it was a one-year, $1.2 million deal. 352000 in guaranteed money. It's not that much different from what Jordan Aikens got to join that same team. So, I just don't think there's going to be enough volume to go around. If you're at the very end of the draft and you already got Daniel Jones, that's fine. But we're talking about a very select group of drafts at this point. We are fading those Giants. And if we can get some good news on Logan Thomas and that ACL recovery, he will be going up for all those reasons that I just well, said. Well, I, so. I do have some good news. He is actually on his way right now to being cleared for training camp as of this moment in his rehab, from what I understand. So there is some positivity on that end. And, and that's great because, again, he is out there for every single snap. So I will value that volume over a potential d talent difference. But, boys, Dan, Chris, appreciate you guys having me on. You guys can find me over on Twitter at iHeartIt'sPFF.com, obviously, and the always grinding PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. We are going through team previews all the way through July. And also, if you happen to like the USFL like I do, I got you covered as well. So good time talking, boys. And, you know, FC East. Let's go, Cowboys. <laughs> i've been loving those usfl episodes by the way Thank guys you, make sure you tune in next week bellyup.tv same time 10 p.m thursday night that's when we have our new episodes during the off season next week we're doing the afc east and we got joe pizapia from fantasy pros he's going to come on and give us some of his time as well ian i can't thank you enough for coming on tonight really appreciate it man hope we can do it again sometime everybody have a great weekend <laughs>